Georgia's citizen legislature is about to go back to work under the gold dome at the Capitol building in Atlanta. State Senator Ben Watson is our latest difference maker, and he goes in-depth on what to expect during the 2020 session, which begins Monday, January the 13th. He also shares insights on growing up in rural South Georgia, practicing medicine, he is Dr. Ben Watson, and how he got involved in politics. Difference Makers is presented by the Savannah Economic Development Authority. Van Bremer, your host and the editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News. And this is the Difference Makers podcast, where Savannah area community leaders talk about what they do, how they do it, and why. Difference Makers hail from several sectors, including commerce, government, education, arts and culture, and philanthropy. You probably recognize the names or at least the organizations that these Difference Makers represent. This podcast is your chance to learn what makes them so successful. Watson is our difference maker this week, and we are just days away from the start of the, I guess it would be the resumption, right, Ben, of the 2020 That's legislative session? That's correct. That's kind of confusing, right? Because it's in a two-year cycle, and when you guys break in April of 2019, you come back in 2020, it's still the same. All those bills that did not pass go back to their respect to committees and may or may not be voted out, so we'll see okay. if they can make it. We're, we're going to really dig into the legislative session, but let's stay there for a minute. So, is is there anything? Is there any other correlation? I mean, is all the the obviously you're everybody that was in office last year is in office this year. We haven't had an election, but in the the for lack of a better term, the off season, is there a lot of committee work and and stuff on stuff that was already introduced last year and will potentially be up this year? Uh, there are. You know. You know, starting with the legislation that was introduced at a later time, so after crossover, or mm-hmm. did not make it uh, to uh, throughout through the committee, uh, those are left over. Then you have all the bills that were filed in the meantime, mm-hmm. and all the study committees that you alluded to. Uh, mm-hmm. Just uh, I, you know, I was on the governor's task force related to Medicaid waivers. Uh, I was on the lieutenant governor's task force related health care on everything except uh, Medicaid waivers. Uh, on the task force relating to uh, legal reform mm-hmm. uh, and. And, uh, and also having to do a scope of practice, uh, another study committee. So those study committees will generally uh, convene and be disbanded at the end of the okay. end of the year and okay. will uh, recommend some legislation. Uh, so, so so this next summer will be a little bit easier then. Uh, except you know, you're running for except you're running for office. It's all relative. <laughs> yeah, every two years we run again. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, we're going to circle back to all of the um, state the Georgia General Assembly business here in a minute, but we're going to start where we usually do with Difference Makers, and that's on some biographical information, some background. Been in town for for quite a while. People know who you are. You've been in office for a while. You yeah, didn't grow up right here in town. No, I grew up in a small town, Twin City, Georgia, up near in Emanuel County. What, what uh, makes it Twin City, first of all? Uh, I've always good question. That. 1950s, they incorporated two smaller towns into uh, a larger town, uh, uh, Graymont and Summit. Summit is supposedly the highest peak between Macon and Savannah. And how high is that? I don't know. Not, not very <laughs> not high. Not very high. <laughs> Highway 80 runs through there, and uh, that's the only stoplight right now. So, so do, do people still back home, do they call one part of town Gramont and the other part of town the other? Is you know, they did. City? There was a rivalry in between. There were games exactly. played in between when I was growing up, and uh, yeah, people still refer to it as, as Gramont Summit. Okay. So growing up in that town, did you grow up in town? Did you grow up 
outside of town grew up in town my dad had a general merchandise store that i worked in when i was you know starting at you know six or eight years old uh and then we had a small farm outside of town also that we that i worked on a little bit also what you uh crops uh, yeah we had everything from uh from cattle to um not many not much hog you know business but Mm -hmm. mostly corn and uh and hay and things like that okay so he worked the store all day and or actually probably went out did all that stuff in the morning and then went to the store right you know this was a uh this was back in the era when we actually had sharecroppers okay uh, and we had uh two uh two small farms and had sharecroppers on each each farm um these were white men and and uh, had families and they we we would share the uh the profits of which we had very few mm-hmm. uh, and uh so but uh that was a different era yeah yeah, so, so for the most part, your family is involved with running the store. We did. That's right. Uh, his brothers had uh, had the farms, and you know, and we ended up buying one of the farms, and so that's where we still have a small farm there, and, yeah. and just outside of town. And what what was there to do in Twin City as a as a young boy? You know, it was a great place to grow up. Uh, you know, I was terribly interested in sports growing up, uh, so I you know worked in the store, did sports, went to school. We actually lived uh, our house backed up to the baseball field. So mm-hmm. I, I grew up playing baseball at a very young age, and uh, it was it was a great place to grow up and bring up kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I live on Isle of Hope now, and I often say that Isle of Hope is very similar to Twin City because there there are no sidewalks, uh, there are no street lights unless you pay for them. Uh, you know all the neighbors, you know the kids run free, mm-hmm. uh, the dogs too sometimes. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's it's been a it's been a good journey. Right. Baseball, any other sports? Were you good? You know, I was probably good enough to play small college baseball. I've mm-hmm. continued to play baseball up until I was uh, till last year in men's okay. league baseball. Okay. Um, I just I loved the game. There's no other place I'd rather be is on, than on the baseball field. Right. Uh, I played a little tennis and I played basketball uh, in high school also. Yeah. I know small towns like that is the athletic teams are almost the 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 cultural attraction of the town. You know they the are. And you know, I was—I actually participated in chorus and the one-act play and things like that. So there was a little bit of arts, you know, side to it. Uh, but yes, it, it uh, you know, sports. The high school football team, you know, drives it. You know, Saturday Night Lights. Yeah, so it was a good time. So Dad was a, a small businessman and, and a little bit of farming. What what did Mom do? Mom uh, was a high school uh, math teacher. Okay, and. Uh, and so was my grandmother uh, on my dad's side. Uh, so, uh, and my two sisters ended up being teachers also. So, mom uh, helped in the store after she had our, the, my siblings and myself, and uh, didn't teach anymore after that. So, how did you get steered toward medicine? Well, you know, I had a favorable experience with my uncle. He was a pediatrician in Augusta. And uh, so they say that most people have had positive experiences. If you become an orthopedic surgeon, you probably had a positive experience of some broken bone with the, with the orthopedic surgeon when you were playing football. Uh, but uh, positive experience there. And I was always interested in science. And uh, so it sort of was a natural fit for me. Going from Twin City to was it the University of Georgia for undergrad? Right, UGA, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, all four years at uh, University of Georgia in Athens, and then uh, to Medical College of Georgia in Augusta. Okay, I went straight through, and then I came here and did my residency uh, in internal medicine uh, at Memorial. Been married a local girl, so I've been here uh, ever since 1985. Right. When you went to Georgia, was it 
for medicine or did you gradually make your way to medicine? You know, I realized, you know, in probably about the eighth grade that I wasn't going to play professional baseball. So uh, my plan B was to uh, was to go into into medicine. That okay, was well. sort of my thoughts. I, I was an EMT, emergency medical technician, uh, at age 18, worked mm-hmm. uh, in the summers and some a little bit during school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was always interested in, in medicine, and that was that was what I, I wanted to do. Um, you know, I'm in primary care, and that was sort of my thought process. Um, not as early as eighth grade primary care, but I knew that I, that's what I wanted to do. Right. The, the EMT training, you, did you do the EMT work in at home, in Athens, everywhere? I did. I, uh, the first place I could get a job was actually in Louisville, Georgia, Jefferson County, with the, uh, the small hospital there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, from there, I worked uh, in Emanuel County at the hospital, the local hospital there right. also. Right. And that's got to be good training because – the MTC, a little bit of everything, usually right after the trauma happens. Yeah, right? we, we did. It was in the infancy of, of uh, EMS system, emergency medical system in the state of Georgia. And uh, my partner and I, uh, that guy who's a state patrolman now, uh, running for sheriff in Emanuel County, as a matter of fact, uh, he and I delivered a baby in the back of an ambulance. So, you know, when we were, while well, we were both teenagers, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, can imagine that. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you saw a little bit of it all. Uh, mm-hmm. You went all different places in the county uh mm-hmm. and you know it's, it's you know at, at a, as a young person you know you get to have sirens and uh and you drive fast too so you know mm-hmm. you know that's uh, not necessarily the thing you brag about as a 60 year old but it right. was certainly exciting right medical school you wanted to be general practice uh, i know nowadays everybody wants to specialize what can you talk a little bit about medical school and the experience and, and kind of focusing specifically on where you wanted to go with your career you know, I did after my uh, freshman year in medical school. Uh, I uh, worked with a local physician, and he was a family medicine doctor in Swainsboro, Jim Ray. Uh, and I think he's still there uh, practicing. He's uh, slowed down a good bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I liked that lifestyle. I liked the, you know, how you could see some direct results of what you're doing, yet you also saw long-term benefits for people. Um, and that's sort of what guided me towards the direct direction of primary care. Uh, I knew internal medicine was what I wanted to do. If I ever decided to subspecialize, I could. Mm-hmm. I did do geriatrics was coming about, and I did my mm-hmm. certificate. I added qualifications in geriatrics, and that's what I do mostly now is geriatrics, mm-hmm. which is primary care. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still see 15-year-olds and uh, up to you know 100-year-olds or so. Uh, why don't we stay there and, and talk a little bit of medicine just because i'm very interested in kind of the trends right now you see some some thoughts about uh, as i mentioned people wanting to specialize a shortage of primary care a shortage of doctors in rural areas that 10 or 15 years from now we're going to have a terrible shortage in terms of physicians and physicians assistants and nurse practitioners that come up and become such a bigger part of the medical field from where you sit where do you see medicine now? Where do you see it 10, 15, 20 years from now? You know, I know I, I, I can't necessarily see the crystal ball of what we're going to do, mm-hmm. but you know, Georgia ranks 43rd in the number of physicians per capita throughout the United States. So mm-hmm. we're, in the, we're close to the low number when it comes to per capita physicians' primary care. Is that and people leaving, or is that just not enough interest people in the state? No, it is, it's not physicians leaving, uh, It is, but it is physicians retiring, and it is the population of Georgia. So when I, you know, 10 years ago, we were dealing with about, you know, nine and a half million people in Georgia. Yeah. 
now we're about 10.5 million people in Georgia. So we're growing almost about 100,000 people per year. Um, and our medical schools and residencies have not not kept up. I will say that when I first came in the, you know, um, into the legislature, when I was in the House, uh, uh, when Governor Deal had just been elected, his first state of the state address, he said that he was going to create 400 new residency spots in the state of Georgia, and he has done that. Right. Uh, you know, expanding Memorial, uh, you know, we have six psychiatry residency uh, uh, spots there now. They just filled last year, and they're actually in the process of interviewing the next six or so. Um, MCG, uh, Augusta University expanded, Mercer expanded, Morehouse, Emory. There's a new um, osteopath school in southwest Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, and there have been residency programs that have been founded uh, throughout uh, smaller places like Gainesville and Rome uh, that have expanded. So if you do your medical school here, and each medical school has expanded. Mercer has expanded mm-hmm. here in Savannah. They've mm-hmm. expanded to uh, Columbus. Uh, Macon is still the hub there. Brunswick, I think they have something down there as well. They do, and, and and MCG does too. MCG is expanded, so the the medical college uh, in Augusta has more medical students, and they have a medical school campus in uh, Athens also. Mm-hmm. So they are growing the medical students. But if you have someone that does their medical school in the area and they do the residence in the area then it's like a 95 percent chance that they're going to stay in that state yes and that's and that's the goal uh have good quality uh people trained here and stay here mm. so you were here doing your residency that's when you met the woman you would go on to marry and became a savannian Right. That's right. Yes, of course. You know, as you know, uh, you know, never will be a native Savannian, but uh-huh. uh, unlike my wife, who was born here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I married a local girl who's um, public school teacher. She just retired uh, last year, and she's now consulting uh, with a group out of Atlanta to help transition uh, some of the uh, spots that they fill with foreign teachers. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's what she's doing uh, right now. Oh, very interesting. Your political career is is pretty interesting too right because it stretches all the way back to Emanuel County days it does yeah my dad was the Democratic County Chairman uh, in Emanuel County so his uh, name was on the ballot for years I didn't really know why it was on the ballot but it was and uh, so um, we we talked politics around the dinner table um, and from the federal state and local and so had always been interested in that um and when i came to savannah uh i did fundraising uh and have never really felt bashful about asking people to help others uh that they believed in to write a check and uh, and to support them uh, so i've done that for several candidates uh mm-hmm. eric johnson uh, my brother-in-law jack kingston mm-hmm. uh some folks in macon some folks in statewide and other folks locally some winners and some losers so you mentioned that your dad was Democratic Party chair, and I have but get the feeling maybe that might have been the old he was a bit of a blue dog Democrat. And he was. That was a Southern Democrat, yeah. very conservative, or it was conservative, I should right. say. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, he he uh, he eventually came over to the right side and <laughs> went to the Republican County Convention. Correct in side Bullock or County. right side? The, both. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that was it. Was you know the South um, up until about fifteen twenty years ago was solidly a Southern Democrat, right. uh, except in national politics. Right. right. And your wife and Jack Kingston's wife are sisters, so there's been a lot of you, you mentioned a lot of talk around the dinner table when you were a kid. I have a feeling that 
since well, those two families. Yes, you, you know, we, we, we don't necessarily, uh, during holidays, we don't always bring up politics. But, you know, right. for the most part, we're all on the same page, yeah. Right. And what sparked that? interest i guess it's been about 10 years ago right finally jump in that's right so i was in the house for four years been in the senate this will be my sixth year burke day uh was in the legislature i think for over 15 years and uh he had decided to retire uh the spot was open i had uh been encouraged to run uh in the past but did not want to run against anybody and that spot was open Mm -hmm. so uh uh, threw my hat in the ring, and uh, here we are. What was that initial experience like? I mean, obviously, you, you got access to a guy who's run a lot of campaigns for a lot of years, but so you you knew where to, who you had to ask. Yeah, you know, I did. I did uh, get some advice from from Jack, uh, and he was always good to bounce things off of. Um, but I did, you know, hire a political consultant mm-hmm. uh, who I, I took the advice of. Mm-hmm. Uh, the local political consultant was taken up by another candidate, so I had to use somebody who had local experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you just listen to somebody that has experience, mm-hmm. and uh, which I had none of in running a campaign. Right. Uh, I knew how to raise money, and that right. certainly helped out. Difference Makers Podcast is a great way to learn about Savannah and those who make the city tick. But there's a catch, of course, the two-week wait between episodes. Keep up with all that's going on in our town on a more regular basis by signing up for our free newsletters. We deliver an opinion page newsletter daily, and our news team does likewise. And for the foodies and Georgia Southern fans among the audience, weekly newsletters on those topics are available as well. Visit savannahnow.com newsletters now to get those newsletters delivered straight to your email inbox. Again, that's savannahnow.com slash newsletters. What was the hardest part? Just articulating your message or, or getting name recognition? Or Yeah, you know, the, the first poll we did, my, my name recognition was like 12%. That mm-hmm. was way, way down there. Uh, yeah, it, that was not too uh, encouraging. Uh, but, you know, the last poll we did, you know, in the, the ultimate uh, election, you know, I won in a three-man race without a runoff uh, in the – uh, in the state house, and uh, the toughest part of that is the endurance, mm-hmm. and sort of brings me a little bit to Kelly Loeffler. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the endurance that you have to have to run a campaign, and mine was just a state house, seventy thousand right. people, right. Islands District. You know, now I'm in the in the state senate, which is you know almost two hundred thousand people, three different counties, large areas. But the endurance to run a campaign, I don't think, is appreciated, mm-hmm. uh, and the ability to articulate your thoughts was a challenge for me i mean i can articulate medical thoughts but uh, political thoughts uh and having different styles and different speeches at different times that i had to learn i I mean i went to toastmasters i was terrible i mean i was just i was not good at all um doctors don't lend themselves to very charismatic people for the most part no yeah and you you know exactly um some some physicians do and we all have different personalities but if you're and I, I didn't know this until I was in the legislature. I got sent to a 
training seminar, and I, I tested out the fact-based side, which I guess was not a surprise. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, you have to you have to learn um, how to do speeches, and you got to be you have to persevere because uh, that's it. I mean, that's the the philosophy of life, though. I mean, you got to persevere in every, you know whatever you want to do. You have to persevere if you want to go to school, you know, to follow through with task. Uh, but perseverance is that. And Kelly Loeffler is going to have to persevere. Not only she's going to go through, uh, you know, the impeachment, you know, mm-hmm. jump into that. Mm-hmm. Then she's going to run in November 2020. And then she's, if she wins that, she will probably have a runoff have a there. Run off January, and then she yeah. would have another election in 2022. I mean, that's going to be uh, that's going to be tough. I mean, my election was uh, was from March until uh, until July, mm-hmm. uh, which was intense enough i mean i walked door to door for 13 weekends in a row Mm -hmm. i was actually not on call except for one weekend during that time Mm -hmm. so i mean i knocked on a lot of doors Mm -hmm. and uh and made a lot of appearances and did a lot of fundraising um and learned a lot it's it's been a great learning experience for me um for and i think it is for everybody not just for me but uh to to not just campaign, but learning then learning how state government works, right? And uh, and what's the the right thing to do from that standpoint? Right. Let's stay with campaigning in, in the legislature. Is the last time we had a state legislature election, we have eight local reps and senators, and and all eight got reelected. And for the most part, once you get into the state legislature, a lot of times the the first is correct me if I'm wrong. The first race is the hardest race. Because once you get in and you get some name recognition and you get whichever party you're in, you're going to get the party behind you and getting reelected becomes simpler. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, how do you? Yeah, I guess that's fair. I hadn't looked at it that particular way. Um, I mean, because the party um, <clears throat> or your caucus is going to back you, but until you're you've earned your way in that first time, you're correct. You know, they got to uh, you've got to earn your way into that. And but I mean, I think you're you've got to always be responsive to you know the citizens and who you represent, and you got to have a good feel for the uh, for the community. Uh, I mean, you're we're here, we're citizen you know representatives uh, mm-hmm. and senators. So we go to go to church and you work and you uh, so you get a lot of you get a lot of feedback. Yeah, oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's not always positive feedback, <laughs> but uh, but you get feedback. Right. What's life like in the Capitol? I know it's a chaotic couple of months. They say it's 40 days, but those 40 days are spread out over probably about 75, 80 days, 90 days. Is it is it as chaotic as it would appear from afar? No, it, I don't I don't think it is. It is chaotic at times. You know, crossover days a little bit chaotic uh, and into the sessions a little bit chaotic. Um, but it's it's amazingly pretty well orchestrated and and pretty direct uh, the way things are laid out uh, from that standpoint. Uh, whether it's through caucus meetings or floor votes and things like that, it's uh, and, and we have our own offices. Uh, so I share an office with uh, another state senator when I was in the House. I shared it with, I think, eight other uh, several, yeah. Yeah, state reps. So mm-hmm. um, it... Uh, you know, from that standpoint, it is more organized. Um, so there are things that that are chaotic at times, and you know, things are not always pretty. You know, mm-hmm. about making sausage and so forth. But mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, I'm saying it's not chaotic now because we're sitting here in the studio. <laughs> a but uh, before, you know, yeah. <laughs> in a few weeks, you know, I'll probably have a different perspective too. Right. How do you build um, 
a resume or a, a rapport. Obviously, you've risen up to be the chairman of a, of a committee. How does that process? Uh, I, I assume that that kind of starts within the party leadership, right? It does. I mean, it does with the leadership, but it does from all perspectives. I mean, it's how you treat people and uh, your relationships with them. You know, different sides of the aisle, all the way down from the doorkeeper to to the janitors to anybody to your colleagues uh, to the lieutenant governor and governor. Uh, it is about those relationships. Uh, so if you're straightforward and you have integrity and you do what you're going to say you're going to do, then you earn the respect of, of people. Uh, and I think because if you do that, then I think you'll be recognized. And if you do your homework uh, and and you you develop a rapport, and hopefully others look to you, uh, you know, for your guidance, then uh, uh, then I, I think you do advance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all the people who are making the headlines uh, are not necessarily the ones who are always doing the work. Right. Right. And I, I think it's it's worth noting that the delegation here. There's so many of our reps and our senators who are heading committees and and doing a lot of the the heavy lifting up there and uh, i know know that you're one of them and uh, well yeah i mean just the chairman of delegation you know ron stevens is you know chair of economic development but he also sits on appropriations and ways and means and rules uh you know jesse is working as jesse petrie is working his way up also he's uh, chairman of a of a uh, subcommittee. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Hitchens, Bill Hitchens is, is chair couple, of right. uh, public safety, yeah. uh, which is one of the major committees there. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I've been very fortunate and uh, have come up uh, through reapportionment and uh, Homeland Security. Right. Uh, and now I'm chair of uh, Health and Human Services, but also sit on retirement, public safety, appropriations, and insurance. Yeah. Uh, so, and um, across the aisle, across Carl, the aisle, Carl Lester, is, Lester, Lester has been Jackson. a, a yeah. caucus leader uh, mm-hmm. there, and Carl Gilliard's doing a fabulous job. He's a rising star. He is, and the speaker loves him. Uh, you know, Bob Bryant, the speaker liked him also, and uh, and Carl Gilliard's developed a good rapport and good relationship uh, mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, those uh, uh, doing a good job. It's good. It's going to be good to see Mickey Stevens back. Uh, yes. Uh, back in the halls. Can't wait. Uh, um, yeah. We are speaking with State Senator Ben Watson on this episode of the Difference Makers podcast. Before we continue our discussion, let's pause and recognize the Difference Makers presenting sponsor and a real difference maker in our community, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. The team at CETA is pushing to make Savannah a great place to work and live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, and attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Whether a business looking to relocate to the Savannah region or an existing business ready to grow and expand, CETA is the centrifuge of a propeller making the connections, helping propel the business to success. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CETA.org. Now back to State Senator Ben Watson. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the business of governing. And I know that had a very eventful year in 2019 and a lot of things that were done in 2019 bear discussion looking ahead to the future. So I'm going to get out of the way and let you kind of recap, and then I'll throw in some questions here and there. 
Okay. So you know, last year was Governor Kemp's first year, and he, he delivered on a lot of his uh, promises that he said during the election. Uh, you know, $5,000 teacher pay raise, he got $3,000 of that last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so unfortunately, my wife retired, so I didn't get to vote <laughs> on a pay raise for her. I, was, I really would have loved to have done that. Uh, <laughs> but I get no street cred with that. Uh, uh, we gave uh, $30,000 to every school not just the schools, but the buildings, in other words, the elementary school. Each building in Chatham County got $30,000 to do with what they wanted to do relating to school safety. And uh, I've gotten some feedback on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know the the folks in Bryan County use that for – to finish up their school security cameras. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think that was the best thing. Instead of the state of Georgia telling the schools you're going to be put locked doors on everything. Right, you know, right, right. They, a lot of them already had that. Yeah. So let them use it for what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. We did, you know, reduce the income tax uh, from 6% to 5%, 5 and 3 quarters, 5 mm-hmm. and 0.75 in the state of Georgia. Uh, I want to I want to follow up on that. Okay. Because yeah. now we're looking at a revenue shortfall. We may be. We may be. Uh, how, You're right. Uh, uh, is there a correlation there? Or, or, and what does that mean in terms of – because we're supposed to get another quarter percent. And we may. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Jack Hill, who's you know just up the road mm-hmm. here and is very responsive to Chatham County, mm-hmm. uh, he's chair of appropriations in the Senate. Uh, he's been there for a while. He has a lot of gray hair. Ask him why uh, we've had a uh, we're not meeting revenue expectations, and he says, "I don't know." Yeah. Maybe the expectations were too high. Maybe um, uh, that's that's certainly possible. We were supposed to have a revenue uh, windfall relating to the Trump tax cut. Uh, that has not quite uh, borne the fruit that we had hoped. Um, but there, you know, the sales tax are a little bit flat. Uh, gasoline's a little bit on the flat side. Those taxes, uh, those are excise tax, and mm-hmm. just go to uh, transportation. But those are measures that we look at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had a great month last year in November, so maybe we'll have a great month in december sort of make up for some of that shortfall but if not you know kemp was right on target by let's reduce it by four percent this year and six percent next year i mean he called for that before he knew that uh, now that may have been serendipitous but uh, he may have wanted to use that money for other things but you know we'll I mean, Georgia is going to balance the budget. Mm-hmm. Georgia had retained the AAA bond rating through the downturn in 2009. We were one of, I think, three or four states that did that. And a couple have even lost it here in the good times. Mm-hmm. So we will maintain that because we want to pay – when we do bonds, we want to pay less of an interest rate when mm-hmm. we do bonds on, mm-hmm. on state government when we fund projects, like the Savannah Convention like Center. Convention Center, yeah. Right. Yeah, it'll be real interesting that first week of, of the session when, when his budget, this initial draft of his budget rolls out to see what's in there and what's not in there in terms of teacher pay raises and, and a lot of these other uh, lingering uh, issues. Yeah, absolutely. So that's going to be, we'll have our fingers crossed during that time. If not, we'll get to work and, and, uh, and work on that. Uh, it's, that's going to be a team effort. Uh, it's been a team effort uh, uh, to hopefully get us where we need to be. Yeah. Uh, 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 circling back a little bit on mm-hmm. the on the past legislative session, something mm-hmm. that you had brought up and I'd brought up before, too, the Medicaid waiver. Uh, 
legislation that we passed. So when I was in the House, we passed legislation that would not allow Governor Deal or any governor, for that matter, to expand Medicaid without input from the legislature. Mm -hmm. So we voted through Governor Kemp, uh, through his direction for 1115 Medicaid waiver and a 1332 ACA waiver. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we gave them the uh, ability to work with uh, the, the Department of Community Health and and uh, Governor Kemp got Deloitte, who had done 20 waivers throughout the United States. Georgia has about five waivers now, so this is not necessarily new. Mm-hmm. But this is a this will actually be a new and unique way that we will apply for it because we're going for the Medicaid waiver and the ACA waiver all at the same time. That's not been done mm-hmm. in other states. The 1332, which is a reinsurance, bringing down so everybody is covered in the United States, uh, and this is the safety net. So anybody above 137 percent and above of the federal poverty level has access to either their employee-sponsored uh, health care insurance or an individual-sponsored health care insurance, and that's on the ACA, uh, the govern- government website. Right. So what we're talking about is 137% and below. So what the 1332 waiver does is from 100% federal poverty level, a one person making about $15,000 a year, up to 137% of the federal poverty level. That's where we'll bring down Obamacare initially and get reinsurance. So all those high-risk individuals in that will be in a reinsurance pool, which in other states that has actually driven down the cost of the individual plan uh, in that state. So we think we have a good track record there. The next year after we do that, we will take over that and allow people to buy insurance with not the full program. In other words, a 60-year-old female does not need an OB coverage. Mm -hmm. So we will allow exceptions to that. Mm -hmm. And there is precedence in other states that have done that. Now, the Medicaid waiver is 100% down below the federal poverty level. And that's a Medicaid waiver in which you'll actually have to earn your way on. So if there are 600,000 people in the state of Georgia who fall in that 100% and below, then they would have to earn their way on to Medicaid. Now, earning your way on is significant, but it's really not that hard. Uh, You have to do 80 hours of work per month. In other words, 20 hours a week of a part-time job or community service, which is defined, uh, not cutting your neighbor's yard, mm-hmm. uh, or you've got to be going to uh, job training at a vocational uh, Votech place, mm-hmm. or apprenticeship, which is also included, uh, or you can be going to uh, to college, you know, mm-hmm. for that matter. So you've got to do that 80 hours per week. And if you do, then you're on. And you just document that. And after a while, you don't even have to document it. You just have to, you know, you know, survive the uh, the audit if there is one. Yeah, the documentation process, I think, is what's going to be kind of interesting. It will be. It'll be strict initially. You know, you got to prove that you're there. And you, when I say strict, you just got to show that you, what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, it's it's a it will be a retrospective audit. I think. Mm-hmm. So. Do these two waivers? I know you were very blunt last year. You said there was, and I'm probably going to mess it up, but there's 450,000 people that we need to insure in this state. And one of my goals is on on the committee you lead is to is to get them covered. Do, do these two waivers cover that many people, or are these just two of the the bigger pieces? And you've got to 
kind of plug some holes elsewhere. No, I, I think I, I would feel happy with this. I'm, I'm happy with this. I worked. I was on the task force with the governor. I worked with them, um, you know, to get this uh, set up, and, and I'm, I am fully on board with this. I think this covers gets everybody covered. You're correct. I was. I felt as if the state of Georgia uh, should allow people the opportunity to get covered like this and that's uh that's exactly what we're planning to do as a matter of fact we submitted it to cms and hhs um the federal the feds uh just uh last week as a matter of fact last week and uh but let me back up a little bit ryan loke for the governor's office and blake fullenwider for department of community health they've been working with deloitte uh not in a vacuum. I, I said I've had input, but so have the feds have had input. Um, you know, Selma Verma, I think is her name, uh, and the other folks at HHS and CMS have been kept abreast of what's been going on and they've been they've pushed back we've pushed back we've had you know certain a lot of meetings and one-on-one meetings and and uh, so this is not we're not doing like other states have been accused of as just this is our plan and passing it along it's it's been done uh, in conjunction with the federal government so i feel optimistic that i think this will be approved uh, but it is going to take time it's going to be another uh, i don't remember exact timetable where it's three months or six months uh, and then say we do get approved and hopefully we will uh and i think we will uh it's going to take a year year and a half to implement it so it's yeah it's going to be a while as viable as this plan sounds you still hear particularly from folks on the other side i only heard it at eggs and issues legislative breakfast from from some of your democratic colleagues just a couple of weeks ago talking about medicaid expansion medicaid expansion medicaid expansion is that more just kind of a, a narrative at this point or at what point does it come to a, a breaking point in terms of are we going to continue to f- try to fill holes to these more I, I guess you use the word innovative ways rather than just saying, okay, well, let's do what they did in Ohio and all these other states and just expand Medicaid and take care of the lowest income people like that. Yeah, I do think it is a narrative that's being, you know, pushed down from the top. Uh, I do think that this is a helping hand up and not a hand out. Uh, And I do think you have to earn your way on this. I think all those things are good principles that we should have. Uh, I look at Medicaid expansion as Medicaid explosion. So if you're saying, you know, expansion, I'm saying explosion. And I think that's, to me, that's the wrong thing to do. You don't need to give someone insurance and not expect them to be responsible with it. You expect them to be responsible and then have the insurance and get them up, lift them up out of the federal poverty level, which is 15000 for a single person is 100% federal poverty. You don't expect them to stay there. You want them to move up to the 1332 or some on some employer's plan you don't want them to stay in that rut that got them there whether that's i mean poverty is is you know is homelessness is substance abuse is mental health issues i mean there are a lot of reasons to be in poverty um but we want you out of poverty Mm. and you have a a unique perspective on this right working in the medical field i'm sure that you dealt with medicaid for a long time and and you know where its strengths and weaknesses are um yeah, I mean that's that is the insurance when you're a resident. Uh, that is, uh, I'm uh, unfortunately I'm you know I admit patients through the emergency room, uh, and uh, yes, I, I, I just I would say that I have experience in this area. Mm-hmm. What are some of the more practical 
pitfalls with with Medicaid? Is it just a, a drain on the? Well, Medicaid is, has not been one to drive quality because if you drive quality, you drive price. Uh, and quality means people taking their medicines, seeing the doctors, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, in mental health, as an example, if you're, uh, I'll, I'll give you the. I think I'll, let me digress a little bit. Please. I think that this is the most important piece of legislation that we've done, uh, but transportation. You could make a case that that affects more people, maybe, because people are driving cars and and, and using mass transit. Uh, and we did put a billion, almost a billion dollars a year, in just for transportation. We redirected that. Uh, you can make a case that criminal justice reform is important. Mm-hmm. But what made me think of criminal justice reform is that in mental health or substance abuse. Uh, if you have issues with substance abuse, then you go to the substance abuse court and you pee in a cup and you take your medicine if you need to and you continue to work and pay taxes rather than going sitting in a jail mm-hmm. and not getting rehab. Mm-hmm. If you have mental health issues, then you go and take your medicines or you go see your therapist and so forth. I look at this as an extension of that. This is more of a personal responsibility in helping people out, allowing them to have an insurance, a basic insurance, and allowing them hopefully, if, you're, if your health is good, you should be able to work more and move up out of that. One issue that is done from last session and won't come back up is voting machines <laughs> i got to i got to try out our new voting machines really just a couple weeks ago and quite frankly it's not a whole lot different than what i've become accustomed to Wasn't that but, tough but that was obviously a, a big fight and, and we're going to try to put these things in in two months and admit that i'm a little skeptical on how we're going to do that but we'll wait and see uh talk a little bit about the the getting that I think it was 120 million dollars in, in overhauling the system, and and not just the not just the physical action of voting, but some of the other voting reforms that you guys did, because there were a lot of little things that needed to be tightened up, and the legislature took action on a lot of those, and I know a lot of those were somewhat controversial with with some folks on the on the conservative side. They were. I mean, this was all done by Judge Totenberg. Uh, uh, but Judge Totenberg had several issues that she wanted addressed. And so uh, part of our legislation was not just the machines and having a backup paper. or not a backup. It's actually the paper that gets counted. It's not the, the computer that gets right. counted. Uh, so it will be a paper-generated uh, machine. I mean, you know, you, you saw it. Yeah. And uh, so – but there were – I think there were over 100 things that we had to address. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made the conscious decision, not this session, but the last mm-hmm. session, that it should be the new administration to make that decision. And it was Brad Raffensperger that that drove that. And uh, and he was the one, along with Barry Fleming, uh, in the House, um, and one of my comrades in the uh, in the Senate that uh, that that carried that legislation and uh and i think addressed all of her concerns though I, i'm you know as federal judges do they like they don't necessarily like to sign off on everything to, yeah. you know i won't i won't go there but right. uh right. but uh that's where we are Difference Makers podcast to remind you about our other regular podcasts, such as the At Savannah Opinion Commute, hosted by yours truly with a new episode that posts every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The commute is the easiest way to keep up with the latest news and happenings that Savannians are talking about. Search for The Commute with At Savannah Opinion on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. 
Episodes are also available through the savannahnow.com website at savannahnow.com slash podcast. You can also check out our other podcasts, such as Georgia Southern Extra with its focus on Georgia Southern football, the Do Savannah podcast with its emphasis on local arts and entertainment, and the daily See You in the Morning podcast that offers a roundup of the day's headlines. Let's kind of transition and talk a little bit bigger picture and talk uh, politics. I know that one thing I really appreciate you about you and about a lot of our local delegation is much more pragmatic than they are ideological. And we've seen a big partisan rift, a partisan rift that is by every indication is going to continue to widen over the next 11 months, certainly. But how do you see this next year? And, and what do we as citizens, as voters need to keep in mind when when there's a lot of shouting and, and pointing across the fence without a whole lot of thought being put into things? Let me allude to what we discussed a little bit earlier in that, you know, many times the ones who are shouting um, are not necessarily the ones doing all the work. Uh, so, listen, you got the government's business that you got to run. You got to do that. And that's what you elect us for. We're there by the Constitution 40 days, and we got to balance the budget. Uh, but you want to make sure that from a state perspective, things are taken care of. Uh, so, that's got to be done. And if we have local issues, which we always do, we got to address that. And we don't generally address that on a partisan fashion. Uh, so, uh, if, if we have have certain issues that we need to address we do uh, and it's been pretty congenial our our delegation uh, not many party issues one of the issues I remember first being elected was that the school board was changed from four years to two years and I think we changed it back from two years to four years that wasn't a partisan issue but it was something that uh, that was that that we worked on um, so um, the hyperbole that's there is I think and I think you will agree with me that that it is more um, prominent right now. Uh, that may be driven a little bit by – it's probably driven a lot by Georgia has been – you know, listen, it was Southern Democrat, then it's been Republican, and now there are there – there's a growing number uh, of Democrats. Now, I don't think the state's purple. I will disagree with some of the folks uh, about that. But I think because of that, you see more hyperbole and people trying to drive that wedge. Um, is that wedge and that hyperbole more than it used to be? You know, listen, if you look at some of the history back in the early 1900s, uh, when, and, and even before that, I, I didn't realize it, but many papers and uh, uh, journals were paid for by the political parties. I, I did not know that. That's back in the around the Constitution times, mm -hmm. uh, back around Jefferson and so forth. Right. So, so I, I, I'll compliment you, the, the newspapers and most of the people uh, in the news business try to be non-partial. Now, if you're a blogger, you're, you're not non-partial and many times those folks do slant things and are and are not productive um, so i think they are more partisan yes now uh, because i think uh, of the makeup of our uh, electorate uh, but i don't think there is any significantly difference than what it was uh, centuries ago though I, I you know we'd all like to think that we're much more civil now than they used to be of course of course we're not going out and, and dueling each other right uh, so maybe we are a little bit more civil 
Right. In my <laughs> lifetime, though, I think it's fair to say that tribalism is probably at an all-time high, or what they call tribalism. I think, I think yeah, in yours and my lifetime, I think you're. I think that's accurate. And, and to me, that's that's not a good thing. I, at, at the same time, though, I think it almost has to get worse before it gets better. It has to get to the point where it's completely absurd. And it's you know, if you don't adhere to exactly what fits in this pillar, then you're not part of that anymore. And I think we, we're getting there. And I think when we get to there, maybe we'll see some pushback and see uh, a little bit more pragmatism, a little more moderation, I guess, would probably be the right term. But is 2020 with what's going to be very contentious uh, elections, uh, even within the parties? Uh, you mentioned Kelly Leffler earlier, who has basically been under fire from the conservative base ever since it was announced that, that she was a strong candidate. It, is it going to get worse before it gets better? How dangerous is it? But I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm going to. Uh, from somebody who's who's a very close observer and, and talks to a lot of people about it, which direction do you see it going? Well, listen, it all starts at the top, and I think President Trump has been divisive at times. That has won him the election. Uh, it won him the election in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with Kelly Loeffler, you know, the, the uh, folks in the Republican Assembly who were railing against her, were they backed Paul Brown. Um, you know, he ran for Senate against uh, Purdue and, and Jack Kingston, and um, – I think he, I don't. I'm not even sure how far he came in. Maybe it was. It wasn't. It was pretty low. Mm-hmm. Um, and and folks have been talking about Doug Collins. You know, listen, I was served two years with Doug Collins in the uh, uh, in the legislature, and uh, he's a nice guy. But you know, I think he's doing a great job where he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Kelly Loeffler is a great choice. Uh, you know, because she, you know she is female and she is not afraid to be conservative female. Just because you're female doesn't mean you're 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 liberal. And and she's not afraid of that. Um, I think that, yes, it is going to continue to be partisan. It always will be. We have people um, – I practice medicine. Listen, a lot of what I do has – you know, I treat mental health issues. So there are going to be people out there that are going to have uh, – that, that the newspapers and the radios are going to be able to get quotes on that are don't sound too appropriate. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it's always going to be. But this is a democratic republic, and that's, and that's the – the beauty and the beast. The beauty is, is that, you know, we elect people who look like us, and sometimes that's, you know, that's not appropriate. And, uh, you know, and sometimes we elect people that are that are good and strong, and uh, will be able to represent us well. But that's the way it's been since, you know, historically, and that's the way it's going to continue to be. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, for good or bad we yeah. got it we got warts and all we do have an election this year so whichever way people feel about it it's it's going to play out um you're a republican if you're going to be on the ballot as a republican is there a thought that a referendum on donald trump or a referendum on buddy carter or a referendum on kelly leffler or a referendum on david purdue impacts all of you down the ballot yeah, I think it does. Absolutely. Uh, all politics is local, you know, for sure. So, uh, you know, hopefully I do a good job and uh, I remain responsive to the to the people. Um, and I get elected as the person, not necessarily as the party, but I'm not running away from the Republican label uh, by any means. I, I think that Trump will carry Georgia. I think uh, I think Buddy Carter has, has done a good job. Uh, so I I'm not here as their campaign manager by any means, but uh, but it does. Yes, it will affect. Uh, it will affect down ticket. Yeah, 
It's going to be an interesting year beyond that, right? Because we have Chatham County Commission. We're going to have a new chair. Uh, very, very possibly, and, and we didn't get to this earlier, but so we can kind of wrap it in now. It, we very possibly could have a gambling referendum for the state of Georgia. Um, we have judges that are going to be on the ballot early in the year. And I think I counted it up. We could potentially have seven or eight different elections between now and January 4th of wow. 2021. Um, Hope those uh, voting machines are working well. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, You're exactly right. So, is is this kind of a, a, a monumental election year, and not just because you're on the ballot, but as a, as a voter? Uh, well, you know, we look at it and we think that every election is the most important election we've ever had. Um, but you know, I, I, yes, I do think this is an important election, and I, I, to me, it is. Uh, it, it's it's going to be you know dramatic from. Um, things that have never happened before, um, including the appointment of Kelly Loeffler. Mm-hmm. Um, here locally, uh, Al Scott is term-limited out, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so that leaves it open as a, as a seat that is open. Uh, we talked earlier before we went on air about uh, you know Jason Butelman, uh, who's done a fabulous job on Tybee, um, of balancing uh, both sides there. Um, Looks like we only have Billy Hare and Jay Jones and you hear a lot of other names. But, yeah, Jason, I think right now is the only one that's, that's stepped out. Yeah, I mean, and so it's it's going to be – it's going to be that will be interesting uh as will the presidential election is going to suck all the oxygen out of the room i'm sure and um the and but it is unique in the u.s senate um and i'm sure we'll have things so uh, that will come up uh during the legislature you know maybe it is the gambling that will be uh, that will that will make things interesting i think yes i is that, that going to be on the election uh is that going to be on the uh, uh-huh. ballot I don't know. Uh, that's that's going to be interesting. I mean, certainly sports betting is legal now in the United States. Why should Las Vegas have it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that if you walk into any room, uh, gathering of families, that I can almost guarantee you that one or two of them have bet on this particular game. Right. And to, to disregard uh, and to, to say that this is illegal it is an illegal activity in the state of georgia and to say that is a disrespect to the law mm-hmm. and it's very similar to running stop signs though it's it's uh you know frowned upon or speeding is frowned upon is still not legal mm-hmm. so do we make it uh legal uh i don't think the legislature is going to do that i think we may give the people the choice, the choice to do that to uh yeah. and that would be sports betting uh i don't know what else but yeah, you know, i'm not leading that charge no, you're I'm not st- leading that charge I, you, but know, I, you know the interesting thing about that though is is and i don't think i'm speaking out of school here is is ron stevens is is leading that charge quite frankly and, and he's basically has come to the point where he's like we need to put it on the ballot where either everything in terms of gambling is legal or nothing and when you say everything or nothing the nothing would include the George lottery. So we could be looking in November about, you know, completely allowing. Hey, listen, I'm not, I'm not for doing away with the George lottery. I believe me, that is, that is, uh, that is gambling. 
Yes. You know, I think everybody recognizes that. But listen, I mean, you saw the numbers in the paper today. I yeah. mean, that's I mean, those numbers are great. Yeah, yeah. For and the uh, mega millions is what it's yeah. meaning in terms I mean, of revenue. We're, we've state, raised, right? we're raising over a billion dollars every year for the Hope Scholarship and Zell Miller Scholar, which pays 100%, mm-hmm. and then for pre-K. And to say that that's not been a success, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's crazy. Yeah, well, I'll be curious to see when that when – that bill makes it from the house over to you all what actually it says because i i think it's going to be uh, entertaining if nothing else to kind of see which direction it goes because last year it never got traction no I, no and, it didn't and there was there was a horse racing there was a sports betting there was casinos and ron to his credit says the heck with it let's throw it all in there and see what happens so we will see what happens um well ben we covered a lot of ground there and i always appreciate your time and look forward to seeing you later in January at Savannah Chatham Day. I think it'll sneak up on us pretty quickly. And I'm sure everybody will have something new to fill your ear with by that time. Because you guys will be in a couple of weeks. But uh, thanks for coming in. Thanks for, for serving us and doing all that you do. And we look forward to seeing you down the road. Thank you, Adam. It's been a, been a pleasure. Always a pleasure to come here and share my thoughts. And uh, I Really appreciate y'all doing this and uh, look forward to doing it again in the future. Thank you to Senator Ben Watson for sharing his story on Difference Makers. Thank you also to our presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. Tap into the Difference Makers archives anytime on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of Savannah's community leaders, such as Savannah's new mayor, Van Johnson, as well as local high school basketball coach Tim Jordan and the Georgia Ports Authority's Griff Lynch. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. Our next episode will post January the 24th. Thank you for listening.